just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Tender Podcast in Bed with Nick and Megan, featuring the magnificent Nick Offerman. Why, good evening. And his sad and lonely wife, <laughs> Megan Mullally. What? Well, <laughs> it's my new thing. And today, <laughs> special guest starring the gorgeous Trayvon Free. Woo-hoo. So excited. Hi, gorgeous and lofty. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a tall Thank you for tall having drink me. Of water. Thanks for coming on. Um so I was just saying that the last time we saw you was over here at our house on my birthday party and that was the night that uh, our assistant Michael met his now boyfriend, uh, Livin Lava, who was <laughs> your friend that you brought yeah. to the party. I, I brought him his, his love, the love of his life. Oh, that. that's so nice. <laughs> so we have you to thank for our assistant's tardiness and uh, <laughs> tempestuous the romance. Dreamy look on his destroying face. Destroying our business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was so funny when they, when they told me. They started dating, and I was like, "Oh, look at that!" And he thought we were together. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> when, I, when we came to the party. <laughs> you are you are uh, affectionate. I feel like if you and I walked into a, a yogurt shop, people would think, "Oh, there's, those guys look like a happy, successful couple." Maybe <laughs> I think I may, you can pull it off. I might be flattering myself. Well, we are going to talk about relationships and. And love today, so it's fitting that we all imagine ourselves in a relationship with you, Trayvon. Um, <laughs> so let's uh, on this podcast we ask the guests if they have anything they want to talk about in particular, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But 
uh, this was the suggestion for today. And I'm wondering if you had a particular reason why this is on your mind. Well, I mean, I, having dated people in the industry, um, you guys are a shining example of a creative couple who uh, are both immensely talented and somehow against all the odds of Hollywood, make it work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, first of all, you are right to uh, flatter us with compliments um, as we host you. So thank you. Uh, that. <laughs> that's funny yeah we've gotten we you know we're very lucky we got lucky and um it seems to be seems to be working out so far 20 years <laughs> in <laughs> 20 20 years wow yeah and it still feels really new that's the crazy part yeah. how do you do that i don't know i think it just it is it is that i don't even know why it's intangible I, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we both uh, have uh, a curiosity that comes along with working in our business that, that allows us not to become sedentary. Um, so, for example, if, if we were uh, not as curious in, in a manner of speaking, then perhaps like I would, like I had my big break on Parks and Recreation, right. and if I wasn't a curious person, then maybe I would then just keep working in television comedies and it'd be like, okay, here's a secure life that I can find success. And that would lend a a certain banal domesticity to my life that I think would then have a detrimental effect on our relationship. But we both are curious. So we keep, even though we're, you know, we're in the middle of age rather than we've, we've graduated from youthful to middle age, we we still uh, are interested in like exploring the world and, and being adventurous and taking risks, and I think that that keep, this helps keep things fresh between us. I think we like we also really like to make each other laugh, which is a big part of it. Because <laughs> then that if you're trying to do a joke, that means you're in the moment. Right. So we have to stay in the moment a lot, which helps. Mm. My girlfriend thinks she's the funniest person uh, in our house. <laughs> <laughs> And, and you, I you just let her believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you guys been uh, together? Uh, it has been, was this April? Uh, 10 months? Nine uh-huh. months? Nice. Yeah. Are you traditionally, do you consider yourself straight or bisexual? Bi. Yeah, that's what I yeah. thought. So <clears throat> that must be fun as a black man. <laughs> <laughs> it has been quite a life. <laughs> yeah, it's a blast. <laughs> quite a life. No, it's uh, it's it's colored my life in a way that it's allowed me to be when I when I was figuring out who I was, and then when I finally got to a place where I understood it, it allowed me to have so much more empathy for so many other people who were going through various different things, whether it was women's and women's issues or transgender people or even people of different races and ethnicities. Like when you look at what it means to truly identify with someone's struggle that's so grounded in who they are and what they look like, when you've gone through that yourself, 
especially because for me, for the, I could have gone my whole life and passed for straight. So I, I kind of had a choice of whether I wanted to like keep that part of my life a secret or, and just like, which I know people who are very much of like, if I can be happy with a woman, I will, and no one will ever know this other side of me. And I just didn't feel like that was authentic to who I was. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like that would make me the best storyteller, the best actor whenever I do that, the best comedian and uh, any of those things. It was, it would just be such a block to all the things we do as creatives to have a part of a whole part of your life and psyche that you will kind of close off. And so I just, I wasn't interested in, in that. I was interested in finding a way to make it a part of my, my everyday life, my career, my, just the way I lived. And, um, it's kind of how I got to, to now. Mm-hmm. Well, and Lynn, let me ask you, would you say, uh, having made that decision, which is pretty gutsy, uh, do you feel like it's uh, hindered you, you, your career or helped you? Um, to be honest, I've, I can only see when it helps. And I don't necessarily know mm. if right. or when it's hindering because like, I don't know what job I didn't get right. or a thing that didn't happen because of what someone thought of me or, or my sexuality. But I know of all the things I have gotten because of it. And so I kind of just lean into that where it's like, well, these opportunities wouldn't even exist had I not been open about it. Right. And um, like when I sold my pilot to HBO, like it was about that. And so that was, that made me confident in feeling like, I can be who I am and still have a career, still thrive, even if I am taking up a space that's primarily occupied by me for the most part in terms of, I don't know very many, if any other uh, black bi men or like bi men in general who are openly out working in our business and talk about it. But I know tons of, gay people i have tons of gay friends but i don't brandon uh who i came to your birthday party with mm-hmm. was the first bi friend i think i ever had <laughs> oh wow and that was two years ago so wow yeah um yeah it was it's it's hard to find not just guys who are able to own that identity but also especially if they're men of color Mm-hmm. It's interesting with, you know, bisexuality, because for a woman to say they're bi, everybody's like, oh, yeah, okay. But for right. a man to say they're bi, everybody immediately says, oh, he's gay. Exactly. You can't, <laughs> you know, you're not allowed to be bi if you're a man. Exactly. And that's something you have to, that's something I struggled with when I was younger, like in my 20s. Of like this whole like, well, people will think you're this, even though you know you're that. And then I got to a place where it was just like, I was only having that experience or that fear when it came to meeting women. Um, Because some women were just like, not going to be cool with it. Mm -hmm. And the thing I, at the time, kind of feared the most was like meeting someone that I actually liked. 
And then having to go through that same cycle of like, are they going to reject me at some point once they find out or whatever the case may be. And so then I got to a point where it was just like, whatever, uh, whoever I'm supposed to be with, I'll be with. Mm-hmm. And any person who doesn't accept me for me, I don't give a shit. Like, yeah. I can't live my life in fear of what you might think of me because it's actually your loss. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> and that's so right. <laughs> when I got to that place, it just became so much easier. It's just like, oh, I don't give a shit what you think. Yeah. Um, I always felt like that too. Whoever, you know, the, the person that you're drawn to is the person you're drawn to and it shouldn't matter what gender they are. Right. Or how they identify. I find that so inspiring. Uh, I, um, I grew up a cis, straight, white guy in the middle of Illinois. All right. So I, too, have known hardship. Um, <laughs> Are you getting ready to come out? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 50 this year, and it's not that long ago. Like, I've always... It's what drew me to work in the theater and, like, in the arts in general, right. partly is sort of, a, in my small conservative town growing up, recognizing all of the discrimination and just in the world, like in my town, I was like, Oh wait, there are more people than uh, white Christian, you know, white, like Catholics, Baptists and Methodists. There are more sects of people and I want to get out in the world and be involved in the storytelling of all people. And, but it took me, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that I only began to finally understand the privilege that I can never, I can never, I can't see it. Right. You know, I, I, it'd be small-minded of me, but easy to, like a lot of people will argue and say, well, no, I've had it tough. Like, you know, we, I grew up, my parents didn't make a lot of money. Like I had to, you know, I worked for everything I achieved. Right. But if, if you can take a step back and look through the right lens, it's so easy to understand just what you said, all of the opportunities that you don't know that you didn't get. Because right. they looked at your resume, and whichever one of you, your characteristics checked the box, right. they're like, oh, set that aside, set that aside. Right. And, and so, so, yes, maybe I had the privilege, the opportunity to get to work hard to like get a job, but I'm already like handed, I'm already on the, in the system where I grew up in a neighborhood, you know, where like right. I, I wasn't. Uh, in, a, in a pipeline system that was going to see me incarcerated. Like I fucked up a couple times in college. I spent a couple nights in jail for like a, a me and my friend had a shoplifting prank, like, <laughs> like so privileged that we right. like stole shit for fun, got caught, went to jail. And I, and I was able to go before like a tribunal and be, and say, I'm so sorry. I'm a jackass. Like that was so stupid. And they said, Oh, you seem like a nice kid. Mm get out of here. Right. And so eventually you come to understand, I'm like, oh, that's the privilege is there are vast swaths of our country, neighborhoods where people don't, (laughs) don't, don't steal for fun. They steal because they are desperate. Right. And when they get, go in front of the tribunal, then they spend the rest of their lives in prison. Yeah. They get thrown into the system. Yeah. And so I think it's, really inspiring the idea of owning who you are even if it's if it uh, 
our personality traits or, or, you know, whether it's your race or your sexuality that generally are, are sources of discrimination in this country, it, you're such a, a positive example of if you own it, yes, you're going to not get some opportunities, but you wouldn't want those anyway. The ones right. that you will get, you can then thrive and you right. will be happy and successful. Yeah, because you want they want you in that environment. So yeah, match. I would much rather be there than in a room where someone's like, oh, "I really hate what you are," but I want you to work on this thing because you have the ability. You know what I mean? Like it's totally. It's such a terrible situation. So you and your girlfriend, um, do you live together? Uh, we are in quarantine together. Yes, you are. We're How's that going? Much- uh, it's actually going pretty good. Good. Um, we have not killed each other. We, <laughs> we get along really well. I'm actually quarantined in Lawrence Bender's house. Oh, I don't know if you're familiar with Lawrence Bender. Yeah. He produced like all, like a lot of Tarantino's movies, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, all the big so Tarantino the, movies. The new way to name drop is whose house you're quarantined <laughs> in. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah we're it's so it's like what five of us here six of us maybe oh wow um so it's it's a little easier because you have some people and you have some we, we play games board games and things we watch movies and, oh, that's and we're nice. all not in our respective writing corners so um, how did that come about that you guys were all together I when I moved back to LA in 2018, I still had a place in New York and LA, and I was working on a show here. And he let me stay here while I was going back and forth. And then I ended up getting rid of my New York place, and he just let me stay here until uh, I could find a place and resettle my whole life here again. And then we got stuck together. Wow. <laughs> oh, we've heard some crazy stories about a not so pleasant quarantine experiences, you know, couples that are just on the were just about to break up or yeah. had decided to break up, you know, that kind of stuff. I saw people were stuck with their exes and oh, like oh yeah. all kind of like crazy there's going to be some movies that come out of this, I'm sure. Oh, God. One one friend of ours, uh, a, a mutual friend, uh, a guy sort of flew out for a hookup. <laughs> oh, no. And they got stuck together like two strangers. <laughs> There's your movie. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I'll write that. One of That's them funny. is probably happy about it, and one of them probably isn't. Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, given the context of this uh, pandemic, um, and uh, specifically focusing on the subject of relationships, it, um, it that's something that sort of came out immediately, like being made to stay at home for just a day or two. It's amazing how much of our society was like, oh, my God, the, the, you know, the, this day is three months long. <laughs> and something, but something that I immediately began to enjoy is how people – began to take notice or be reminded of a couple things. One of them is just walking outside and looking at a tree or a squirrel right. or, or, or being like, wow, the air is really nice out of doors. <laughs> um, but the other thing is their relationships, the other people in their lives where suddenly when the world of commerce, when the world of capitalism is suddenly 
shut down, put it in park and turn off the keys, mm-hmm. you suddenly look around the car and you're like, oh, hey guys, <laughs> like right. the other humans. Um, I and know, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm just starting to feel a little bit bad, you know, talking about it in this way because from our vantage point because we're lucky right we're being we're lucky right now we're like no it's great because you can communicate with friends that you haven't talked to in a long time and spend time with your kids and this and that but then in a lot of other places people are dying or you know people are taking care of people who are dying so it's really it's tough you know it's it's tough to i mean because because it is kind of fun for us you know because like oh i get to catch up on all my tv shows and well, it's guarded fun. I mean, for but everything's relative. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the the world is undergoing a pandemic, but it's important to remember the the uh, responsibility we have in staying home. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And in doing so, part of that requires maintaining our sanity, which I think then gives a permission or a license to like, okay. We're all going to do our best not to not to get this. Hats off and absolutely applause and thanks to all the incredible people working to deal with the people who are dealing with it and all the medical workers mm-hmm. and people that are working to get you know P- PPE to the people. But you're right; it's everything is guarded. Even if we have fun, it's like guarded fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like I was lucky to have time to actually write and not like be bothered pulled away like i'm like developing projects at at a couple of networks and i'm like oh i can actually sit and just do the work that i was halfway avoiding when i could just go outside and go to the mall or go to the movies <laughs> or any of the things that i could do and like you realize you're also lucky to still be making money while like people lost jobs or millions of people have lost their jobs and we're lucky to work in an industry where you can be making money passing emails back and forth turning in parts of a project and so that i don't take for granted at all um but it's it's one of those things where you try to figure out you feel like what more can i do even though the best thing you can do is nothing is just go home and stay there and if you have money donated and yeah, all those kind of things. You know, I first uh, heard about you just from Twitter, and I don't even know how or why because I've never been, you know, that <laughs> big into Twitter. But I remember I, you know, I saw some of your posts somehow, and I was like, "Oh man, this guy's so cool!" And <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then yeah, I, and then you know we started following each other on Twitter, and that was kind of how that all happened. But isn't that that's like a funny way? I guess it really is social media after all. Yeah, I've, I've made some really interesting and fun connections and friends from it over the, over the years. And mm-hmm. uh, you end up finding out too that you're friends with so many of the same people. Like um, Anthony Ramos was a good friend of mine, stays at the guy's house who created Will and Grace. Yeah. He's in LA. Yeah. And so I ended up like being at their house one day just out of pure coincidence. Oh, that's <laughs> And funny. like you end up cycling, circling around people who are all like, friends of the same people anthony ramos is such a sweet guy i love him he was on he did a few episodes the first season back of the revival he did like 
maybe three or four episodes, and he was great. Yeah, he's really, really talented. Yeah, he's Him good. Him and his fiance. Um, so I bet now, you know, now that we're in this quarantine, I mean, I'm sure you're glad to be in your relationship anyway, but kind of comes in handy, right? When you... <laughs> It, it is very, nice. it is very, we were actually talking about this the other night where I, I asked her, uh, are you glad <laughs> we're both not like corn single right now? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you would be pretty lonely just being both of us in our own little like single worlds. It oh makes so God. much more, it makes it so much more fun and easy to have a person you want like being around and mm-hmm. you can talk to and like do things with. And someone who knows how to cook mm-hmm. is also a plus. <laughs> that always so helps, yeah. That Nick does not the, hurt at all. Yeah, Nick's the cook in our house, not <laughs> me. An- another aspect of uh, our relationship that I think um, gets uh, rightfully gets a lot of play is we have a two-week rule because we both, you know, we work. I was going to ask you guys if you had any rules like that. Yeah, we have, a, you know, these careers. <laughs> and again, we're so lucky that we, you know, our agent can say, hey, do you want to go do this movie in New Zealand for six weeks? And that's so fun. I mean, what a, what a great job to get to right. fall in your lap. But if you, if you want to maintain uh, your relationship as a priority, like I always, I just... Tell people, I just think about my IMDb page. Like this job, you know, uh, I'm just this is a hypothetical movie called let's call it The Fellowship of the Ring um, in New Zealand. <laughs> and like that's that's going to be another thing on my IMDb page on my on my resume, but that's going to go by. It's going to be over one day. Right. But and and when that's over, I would still want my home and my my family to come right. home to. And so I'm, I'm uh, 10, 11 years younger than Megan. And so we've always had a built-in student-teacher relationship in a lot of ways. You know, she was in the business so much long. Like, she already had done so many things before I even got to L.A. And so she qu- pretty quickly said, Let, we've got to have a two-week rule. And, and it was because I, meaning we've never been apart for more than two weeks. That's what that means. That's a great rule. (laughs) And the thing, the thing is people really respect it. Like we've always had it. And as soon as you get into negotiations for any job, you just tell, like you make it a priority where you say, look, I want to come do this, shoot this show in London and Manchester, but I have to see my wife every two weeks and she's on will and grace for example this you right. know so every i've never had anybody i've never had it uh be a, a monkey wrench in the works but instead because people are human and usually they feel guilty because they're not doing it well enough right and so they'll be like you know what we're gonna get you and your wife together and how how, do that, how does that work did one of you go see the other person yeah it's i mean it just it all comes down to uh making conjugal flights. (laughs) Well, but in a lot of cases, we've actually moved there uh, more or less. You know, like I did a, I've done a couple of shows on Broadway since uh, we've been together and Nick's basically moved to New York for during that time. Right. Um, And he might have, you know, jobs that he has to leave for, but yeah, we've kind of worked it out that way. Oh, that's really cool. 
Yeah. yeah, my girlfriend's an actress and writer too, so I feel like that's probably where we're headed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Figuring out the whole like, how do you maintain the relationship and the work at the same time? Did you guys meet working together? No, we just met independently. Like I, mm. she used to work at Soul House, and I was there all the time, and. I took her kindness for more than kindness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, like people in hospitality are nice, especially in places like that. Yeah. And, and you assume like, oh, they're only being nice because they work here. They don't actually like you. <laughs> um, and so I just kind of always made a point to try to uh, interact with her whenever I was there. And, but I would, I, Ne- I was never going to ask for her number or ask her out or anything like that because it just didn't seem like the right thing to do. Um, but uh, one day she gave me her number, and that was the mistake she made. Yeah. <laughs> now she's paying the price. <laughs> now, now she's paying the price. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and that was the beginning. Nice. Uh, that was the beginning of. Uh, this almost year-long journey we've been on. Oh, Actually, awesome. it was my birthday on Monday. Happy and birthday. Uh, since we're all locked up in quarantine, obviously there's no party. Um, <laughs> and she's a really great cook, really good baker. And the cake that she wanted to make didn't quite go <laughs> as planned. I uh, <laughs> wish you guys could show people pictures of it, but uh, yeah. I'll have to send you a picture, Megan. <laughs> Um, but it did not, um, it did not visually come out great. It, we all enjoyed it. It tasted great. She didn't like the way it looked. She said it looked like, cause apparently she wanted to put like this hot strawberry jam type situation in between the layers Mm -hmm. and she put it on too soon and it cracked the cake in half like (laughs) down the middle i've never even heard of that before (laughs) and so it got uh it it cracked the cake down the middle do you guys watch she got a little excited do you watch cooking shows we never do for some reason i i love cooking shows we actually never watch them together though but um yeah like cooking the i love ugly delicious i love Mm. uh nailed it um, mm. so many great cooking shows that yeah, we end up we... watching so many dramas and like movies and comedies together. Some, we just watched Tiger King, which is like, oh no. my God. Oh yeah. We watched that. <laughs> Agreed. <so> crazy. <laughs> and um, now, and now all those people from Tiger King, like every time I open my phone, there's some bulletin, you know, about somebody from Tiger King. <laughs> you know, interestingly, I, I bet, uh, they, they, Netflix famously never releases their numbers, but I bet because of the of the quarantine that the Tiger King got oh yeah astronomical oh, yeah. numbers, oh, yeah. sure. especially it, with the social media push. Yeah, although I mean, Cheer just did Cheer just did really well, similarly <laughs> right. to even without Tiger shelter. King. Yeah, they mm-hmm. usually announce the number if it does something really really astounding to brag. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, did you I, did you watch Cheer by any chance? I've been told to watch it, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Do you it's, recommend it? You think it's, I should watch it's really it? good. And if you okay. watch it, it's it's just it's actually really really good documentary filmmaking. You know, I mean, it's really right. well done. It's not when I saw this subject matter, I was like, oh, this is going to be I don't know, kind of 
cheesy or cutesy or something, but it's not. But then if you watch it and you like it, those same filmmakers did a show. They did four seasons of a, and I guess there's a fifth season in the works that came before Cheer called Last Chance You. And oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. The football show. show. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. It's really good. It's, um, you know, junior college football teams and um you know it's just about the people i didn't i re- i didn't know anything about junior colleges now i feel like i know way more than i ever <laughs> thought i would but it's just the 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 people are so heartbreaking and inspiring and it's not yeah all, there, go- all the good things there are much sweeter uh, people but also some similar personalities that sh- the shows aren't dissimilar from Tiger King in that it's a microcosm of America that you're like, oh my God, this is a whole right. wor- world of villains and super villains <laughs> and mm, arch nemeses right. and, and murder plots. Yeah. Whether it's the Tiger King or, um, you know, like a football coach or a cheerleading right. coach, scouting and, you know, backstabbing and it's good stuff. Right. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. So you've written on so many incredibly smart shows. I mean, how in the world... How do you produce a show on the level of The Daily Show or Samantha B five nights a week at that level? I mean, it's just incredible. It um, it really Daily Show. I always say it's comedy Harvard, like it's TV production comedy Harvard. Like you, I was there for four years, so I feel like I got my degree, um, a little over four years, I think. And it's one of those things where when you get there. That machine's already already well-oiled and running, and you just have to hop on the treadmill and run. And you, you end up learning so much about how to produce a television show from some of the smartest people in the business, including Jon Stewart, who is just a, a master at what he does. And you, even as just a writer, you end up having to do so much more than just write the show because you have to work with producers who are finding footage for you to put in your scripts and you have to work with people who are uh, 
even the people who are transcribing your your clips for you, um, it's such a collaborative effort to get that show on the air. Mm-hmm. But it's like you show you you show up at nine o'clock in the morning for that morning meeting, and you literally have a little over an hour sometimes to write that script, to write a what? full yeah. Oh just my about, god! Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Like it is truly that insane. blows my mind because those are the smartest shows. It's yeah, it's we you would you would get an assignment out of the morning meeting, and depending on what the news story was, how 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 fast it was moving, you would have to turn in that script. The meeting would be over at like ten ten fifteen, and if you got your assignment at nine twenty. In the meeting, if that part of the assignment or giving out the assignment has happened, you still have to stay there when you're like, oh, I could just go be writing. But no, you have to wait till the meeting's over. So that leaves you with about an hour to turn that script in at 1115. Mm. And you have to have, yeah, it's the standard of The Daily Show. Uh, And you write it in an hour. You turn it into John. And he gives you notes. And then you get another 45 minutes to do a rewrite. Wow. <laughs> and then you turn that back in and that becomes a rehearsal draft. And after that rehearsal draft is turned in, you go to rehearsal at four o'clock, uh, rehearse from four to five. And then from five to six, you rewrite it with John. And that's usually when you watch it go from, oh, I thought this was pretty good to like, he makes it incredible. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's crazy. It takes... I mean, you've got to be so smart, but you have to also have to be so confident to do something like that. And when you first oh, yeah. started, were you freaked out? Oh, I, was, I was so, so, so nervous. <laughs> I, I, I remember sitting in Jessica Williams' office like my first week being like, I feel like I'm going to turn in a script like two weeks from now and they're going to realize the mistake they made because <laughs> you're just like super imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And she totally talked me off the ledge. Yeah. And then I remember fast forward to John Oliver before he left the show. I remember going to his office and I said, do you remember feeling like, how long did it feel like you didn't belong here? And he mm-hmm. looks up from his desk and he goes, I've been here 10 years and I still feel like I don't belong here. Uh. <laughs> He's like, just for, if you're waiting for that feeling to go away, just forget mm. it. It's never going to go away because right. everyone is so good. Everyone is so smart and so funny. And you're not thinking of yourself through that prism. You're just mm. like, oh, they're amazing. And I somehow lucked my way into this building. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, they're all thinking the same thing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible because, you know, we watch Rachel Maddow a lot. And um, although it's, you know, it's so harrowing to watch the news right now, but her show is so immaculately produced, written. And yet that's okay. So that's extremely difficult to do but she didn't have jokes you know what i mean right. like you guys gotta make it <laughs> politically right relevant yeah. groundbreaking fascinating and you gotta write jokes yeah we are, i always say like it's like writing a thesis and then having to then go back and make it funny <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> like you have to present john's position you have to be factual about it you have to be truthful about it and then you have to make it funny oh and man it's it is I think that's the reason why that place holds on to people for so long because mm-hmm. the turnover rate there is so low 
that like mm-hmm. if you the writing staff there even now half of them have been there well over 10 years wow at mm-hmm. least half of them That's like amazing. i think it also helps because you also are an actor and a stand-up so that helps to write material for other people because you can kind of read it out loud to yourself or act it out right tell if it's gonna you know have the rhythm and all that stuff writing for the correspondence was some of the most fun like Uh, just the most fun i think i probably did that as often as i possibly could because they were just such great actors and such great characters and the people who come through those doors who've, I mean, it's just legend the, after legend. Who were the like, people, who were the correspondents when you were on? Uh, when I got there, it was White Sinek, John Oliver, Jason Jones, Sam B, um, Asif Manvi, Al Madrigal. Um, did I say Jessica already? No. Um, Jessica Williams. Yeah. What, what, uh, isn't that incredible? Um, cr- um, Oh, why am I blanking on her name? Um, Kristen Shaw. Yeah. Um, yeah, they had they had uh, quite a great group of people. What a stable. God. And then that grew into Hassan Minaj and Jordan Klepper, Michael Che. Um, it just, it was uh, Larry Wilmore. Um, wow. Louis Black. Jeez. Um, <laughs> it's kind it of unbelievable. Insane group yeah. of people. It's like an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> yeah, you literally you you can't miss. Yeah. <laughs> any one of those guys. Wyatt Sinek, um God, years ago, I mean, talk about a waste. Uh years ago I briefly hosted a daytime talk show and these brilliant writers uh, the best thing about that show is we had this couple who wrote on the show, um, Wendy Molino and Jeff Drake. And Wendy Molino is now, you know, for many years, she's been one of the main writer producers on Bob's Burgers. I mean, from the in, from its inception. And now she has her own show called uh, The Great North that Nick and I do voices on. But they were really good friends with Wyatt. And mm. so we would do these dumb um, comedy <laughs> bits on the show, these little, you know, video pieces, you know, tape pieces. And um, he was invariably like in a, bear in a suit. banana suit. Yeah. Like he, he, he never even, I didn't even really know exactly what he looked like because he was always just doing the dumbest. Oh, oh that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Wyatt, like, was, I looked up to him so much just because. It goes back to like what we were talking about earlier, Nick, just like when you see yourself represented or or the idea of wanting that show was my dream job and it ended up being my first job. Hmm. And seeing I remember when Wyatt Sinek debuted on the show and I was like, Oh, look, a black person on the Daily Show. Hmm. Yeah. Like now I know I can do it. Like, you know what I mean? Uh. Like it just gives you that little bit of like, oh, it's possible because someone did it. Yeah. And and then you see Jessica Williams get hired. We got hired the mm-hmm. same year. Mm-hmm. Um, and funny enough, we both went to the same college. So like two people from the same oh, university yeah. somehow make it to the Daily Show. Uh, <laughs> and not wow. like Harvard or anything. Like, there's Ivy League people there, plenty. But for to, two people from Long Beach State in California somehow managed to make get it, hired to Make the it Daily to Show. comedy Harvard, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in the same year. And you're like, this is the most amazing gift. Because you, um, you grew up in Compton, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that I would, I would always tell people to like grow up where I grew up and then to end up sitting next to John Stewart every morning for three and a half years. Wow. It's like, you can't even write that. It's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know how to formulate this thought and make it come out of my mouth in a cogent way, but I, you know, I'm just thinking about how this virus is sort of the great equalizer right now. Um, and, you know, it doesn't discriminate. And then it makes me think about race and, and then race makes me think that all of the bullshit that goes on, mm-hmm. co- it all comes back to race. Mm-hmm. All of this shitty, all these machinations that these, you know, Trump and all these people, it's, it's because they don't, they just want white people. Yeah. That's it's, it. They just want white people. I used to think I understood it. It wasn't until I spent a week in Nebraska for a comedy festival in 2016, yeah, during the election year, um, that I really, truly, like, understood it. Mm-hmm. And because there was literally no black people, hmm. like, zero. Mm-hmm. And it was all people who voted for Trump, and they were some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. On the surface, like they all like I mean, they were with us for a week. They took care of us. Uh, it was the Johnny Carson mm-hmm. Comedy Festival, mm. and um, I took it upon myself to take that week to get to know these people. Like I want to try to understand you in a way that you would never take the time to understand me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> and I walked away from that experience realizing part of it is not so much that. They were these sinister people who wanted less for me and people who looks like me. It was just they were never exposed to anyone like me. There's no one like me anywhere near you. Mm-hmm. And the source of your news tells you that I'm bad. Mm-hmm. So not mm-hmm. only are you going to spend your whole life never coming into contact with me, everything you support, everywhere you put your money, everywhere you lend your voice is going to be in opposition to things that help people like me because of what these people on this channel tell you about people like me. But having met me, they all thought I was great. And they all, there was like me and two other black people in the festival this year, that year. And it was, it was astounding. Like they were very open about being, one woman said to me, she's like, I'm a car carrying member of the Bill O'Reilly fan club. Like, they were very hardcore in their in their mm-hmm. beliefs, but it was purely because I think a big part of it was you don't know anyone who doesn't look like you and think mm-hmm. like you. And you they they weren't people of like means, so it wasn't like they could pick up and go to New York for a week and interact with people who look like something other than white. Mm. And, or a place like California where you encounter so many other people of, of different races and backgrounds. And I started to think about, well, what, how much of this is going on all over the South, all over the country, where we're trying to change these people's minds. And yeah, of course, like 30% of people is kind of the foundational number of people are just racist. 
who mm-hmm. just don't give a shit, don't care about getting to know you. Just yeah, think or, you and they're racist here. on purpose. Exactly. The like yeah. they just those people you're not gonna get to. But like mm-hmm. the people in that big gap in the middle, mm-hmm. the people who just are believing what they're told and believing things based on their own experiences. And those experiences happen to exclude people of color or people of different sexualities and genders. I think those people can be reached through interaction, through engagement. Mm -hmm. And it's up to us to kind of try to figure out how to get to them besides Twitter and shouting at each other. Yeah. Like, like I wonder how that is is going to be accomplished. I mean, something that, yeah, that's helpful <laughs> is, yeah. I'll tell you how this hit podcast. Okay. This is going to change everything. No more racism after this episode. Um, this, uh, rep- reparations are right around the corner after people get a load of this chapter. But it does, it does really help that there are beginning to be uh, so many more, there's so much more room for people of color in the arts. Yes. Uh, on all levels, um, but a lot of a lot more roles for people of color, and a lot of more, you know, films directed and made by people of color. That that helps a little bit because that is, unfortunately, that that can be like one of the only ways that people are exposed to. I mean, remember the yeah. Jeffersons, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, look what Will and Grace did for gay people in America. Yeah. Like that show turned the tide. Yeah. Like it really truly turned the tide on gay marriage and people's beliefs around gay people in, in America. And you need that kind of sometimes art just has to do the job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's true. Mm-hmm. I mean I, I, I feel like um if you know, this, the sense of uh, we're, we're on the precipice, on the cusp of hope of possibly taxing the rich in a much more substantial way. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm, con- I'm just fascinated that there's not one of the, the thousands of billionaires. Mm-hmm. There's not just seven billionaires. There's a ton no. of them. Mm. I can't believe yeah. there's not just a couple of them will say, oh, I, people are really having a hard time. Right. Here, let me just throw in a few billion since I have 63 of them. Well, right. and all the money, all the you know, hundreds of millions that Tom Steyer and um, what's his Bloomberg <laughs> well, just yeah, spent yeah. on their campaigns. On their, on their, yeah, on their student, right. ca- student council president campaigns. <laughs> but I mean, if that, that if we can vote, if we can show up at the voting booth and, and get, take ourselves towards uh, uh, taxing the rich, that is, will also help bring us towards a redistribution of of this fairness and sense of justice like we can vote for a system that will hopefully it's just it's going to take a long time right it has to be eroded yeah. it's not a switch that can be flipped yeah i think one thing this this situation has definitely exposed is the notion that it's actually workers who prop up America and who who keep America running. It's the people who aren't billionaires who are the ones who are keeping America afloat. And the idea that billionaires are the ones with their money and their ideas who are saving us and propping us up and keeping us where we are is is bullshit. And we see now it's the people delivering your food. It's the people Mm -hmm. working in hospitals. It's the people keeping essential businesses open. 
it's all those people who are putting their lives on the line are the reasons why we are the ones who are staying at home can do it and and kind of survive in it. And there's not a single billionaire who is delivering my Postmates (laughs) or delivering my Instacart or uh, saving lives in a hospital. It's not, it's not them. It's never been them. And yet they're the ones who constantly get the breaks in when it comes to the finances, when it comes to government, it's still not only are they not delivering your Postmates, but there are some that are profiting from the delivery of your Postmates. Exactly. And, and they're not even, Paying the people delivering your post <laughs> exactly fair. a livable wage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully that will come out of this at least. That you know, for years, the teachers and nurses and librarians, it, it's a it's a well known thing, and and now add to that all these medical employees and food delivery people and farmers. For yeah, fuck's sake, like we're the people making our food, growing our food. Can we can we recognize their value and simply pay them fairly? Nobody's asking to yeah. to get rich around here. We just want to, you know, they want to be survive. able to, yeah, not be able to get thrown in debtor's prison. <laughs> Absolutely. Do they still have debtor's prison? <laughs> I assume so. I Let's bring it back. <laughs> um, well, Trayvon, my gosh, aren't you just the most charming, delightful person on the planet? Oh my! You guys, you guys rubbing off on me. We're so glad that you were able to do this. It's it's kind of fun um, booking the podcast right now because we sort of have a captive audience. Like like, what would somebody's excuse be? They said, right. "Oh no, I I can't I can't do the podcast right now." Really? Why? What are you What are you doing? Where are you? Where are you going? <laughs> You, on the other hand, actually are legitimately working, so we are happy that you could fit us, squeeze us in. Oh, of course. Thank you, guys. Well, I hope that the rest of your confinement goes smoothly. Thank you. I'm glad you're there with your girl and with some of your friends. That's nice. That sounds like a nice setup. (laughs) It's definitely keeping me sane. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again, and uh, this has been another installment of In Bed with Nick and Megan. And thank you again, Trayvon Free. Good night. Thanks, guys. In Bed with Nick and Megan is an Earwolf production. It's produced by Megan Mullally, Kevin Bartelt, and Michael Landry. Executive produced by Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon. Music by Nancy and Beth, which can be found at www.nancyandbeth.com. If you enjoyed In Bed with Nick and Megan, make sure to rate it and review the show on Apple Podcasts. love a classic chocolate chip cookie. Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. 
I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nuh-uh. Hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew. Grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.